We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning as we begin our Advent series today. It's page 807 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. For the next few weeks, we will be jumping into this idea of the dawn of redeeming grace. And hopefully you were able to grab one of the books that we have out in the foyer in these last couple of weeks and been able to, to read up. You'll see uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson is the author and is, is sharing, he has, he's broken his book into four different areas, four different chunks, and uh, those will be the areas that we look at on Sundays in these next weeks. Today, we look at those first three chapters in the book are on the family history coming out of this first part of Matthew chapter 1. The series will be, the, the book, the devotional book in the series, look at Matthew's chapters 1 and chapter 2, the beginning of this first book of Matthew. So today, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 1, to the genealogy of Christ. Uh, as, as you know, at the beginning of, of any kind of relationship, the, the first thing as you meet someone, as you're introduced to someone, one of the very first questions that you get, you, the first question obviously is, is what is your name? Names are important. That's the, that's the beginning. That's the introduction in a relationship between you and someone else. So your, your first question is what is your name? And then, and then probably the next question is, is where did you come from? Right? Where did you come from? Where did you go? This, the, next, the next question would be what, what do you do? What, 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 what do you do? What, what kind of occupation do you have? What, what is your, what is, how, what do you, how do you spend your time? What is it that you're known for, known about? And those questions, what's your name and where did you come from and what do you do? Those, those questions are answered here or at least somewhat answered, especially if you know the history. They're answered here in Matthew chapter 1. And so some of it we can read and we can understand and we, and we have figured out, but some of it we need some help with. And, and Dr. Ferguson in the book has helped us with some of that. And I hope today that I can help us just to understand, to better understand what are these names, who are they, what, what did they do, where did they come from, and why does it matter for us today? So we're going to look at Matthew's genealogy of Christ here. There's, there's a, two different genealogies in the New Testament. You'll, you'll find this one in Matthew chapter 1. That's the one we're going to look at today. But you'll also, if you flip over a few books or a, a, a couple of books, you'll find in Luke chapter 3, there's another genealogy of Christ that shows up there. And if you're an, an astute New Testament scholar, you already know that these two genealogies, they're different. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 have two different genealogies. You'll see in this one that, we, that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 1, it begins with Abraham and descends through the generations and ends at Jesus. If you flip over to Luke chapter 3, you see that it begins with Jesus and then ascends up the family tree, and his family tree goes all the way to Adam, the son of God, at the very beginning of time. But it's not just that one of them descends and one of them ascends. They also include different names. The genealogy for Christ that shows up in Matthew that we'll read today has a different set of names, at least for the bottom third, has a different set of names than the genealogy of Jesus that shows up in Luke. And, and as you read that, the, the, it doesn't make a lot of sense. 
How can one, how come the same person, one person, have two different kinds of genealogy lines or family tree lines? And there's actually, there's, there's a number of different explanations. Nobody, nobody knows, at least today in, in current common day, nobody knows for sure exactly why those two lines are different. Here's the most common explanation for it. One, Matthew's line traces the line of Joseph, Jesus' adopted father. His, this would be Jesus' legal line because he was adopted by Joseph that becomes his legal father, and so this line traces his legal line here in Matthew. In Luke, the line that we have there traces through Mary, and so this would be his bloodline. Joseph was not Jesus' blood father, but Mary was his blood mother, and so it traces her bloodline and traces it up through the line. At David, those lines join together, and from David on up to the top, they, they are the same. So that's the most basic explanation. That's, I think, as good as we get with that. That um, doesn't make too much of a difference for us. Jewish believers, though, or Jewish people during the time of Jesus' birth, family lineage was a big deal. And there's, and, and there's even the difference, the difference between Luke's genealogy and Matthew's genealogy. They're significant in, in that they, they trace both sides showing that Jesus can be the Messiah through both lines, both Joseph and Mary's line. It was important to know both sides, both family trees, so that Jesus might be a qualified Messiah. New Testament Israelites, during the birth of Jesus, cared about genealogy and cared about lineage. And Matthew's book, as you know, uh, Matthew specifically wrote his gospel so that Jewish Jewish people would be able to understand that Jesus was the long-awaited for, the long-promised Messiah, that he was a fulfillment of the Jewish laws and the Jewish customs, that he was, in fact, the Messiah that had been proclaimed from the Old Testament, and he was the Messiah that had been promised from long ago. And so he specifically writes to Jewish, uh, hopefully to Jewish converts or to those that would be converted, he focuses on Jewish law. He focuses, much of his writing shows the Jewish leaders and the Jewish customs and how Jesus teaches them and leads them and fits in to them. He wants Jewish readers and Jewish hearers to see Jesus' heritage and to understand that he is the long-awaited Messiah. It was a big deal to Jews. In fact, it wasn't just during New Testament times that lineage became a big deal. Even as we're walking through our, our series in Exodus, following the Exodus, when the Israelites wander through the desert for those, those years after uh, leaving Egypt, before they head into the Promised Land, when Joshua leads them into the Promised Land, God gives them, when he leads them into the Promised Land, God gives the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, he gives each of them a specific area that they're to go to, that they're to live in, a specific plot of land within uh, the Promised Land that they're to go to. And so they have their own uh, designated spot 
their own designated home base land that they're to go to, with the exception of the Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe, and they were given uh, cities. They had established cities within those different territories that they were to go to and to live in and to be the priests for those different tribes. That, that matters even into the New Testament. Throughout, throughout the Old Testament, those Areas of lands, those plots of land, they're significant. They matter. In fact, you know from the birth story of Jesus that Mary and Joseph, there was a census that was being taken by the Roman government, and they were all to go back to their original plot, their original land. That's why Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be counted in the census because they were of the tribe of Judah, and Bethlehem was the capital for the Judah tribe to be established. And so uh, they had to go back to their home base. They had to remain, they had to return to the family plot of land, the Judah plot of land, to be counted. Knowing your bloodline was super important for New Testament Jewish believers. In fact, uh, if you knew your bloodline and you could establish your line all the way through, uh, those that could establish their line typically had uh, a higher favor, a more favored status, social status uh, in, in the New Testament times, in Jesus' birth times. Uh, they had greater privilege in Jewish society if they could trace their line back and, and see it, especially after in the Old Testament when, when the Babylonians, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the Babylonians come and 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 force exile many of the Israelite people out of Israel. They destroy the temple, and, and those, these lineage lines are lost. And so there's lots of families during Jesus' time that aren't able to trace their family tree back all the way to Abraham like we can do here with this because the, 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 the paperwork has been gone. They aren't able to, to see it. There, there's still some proof of lineage, but lots of the records were lost after the, the deportation to Babylon. And so those during Jesus' time that could, in fact, prove that they were Jews, that they could trace their family line all the way back to Abraham in particular, the, the father of the nations, if they could trace their line back to him, they had a higher status and greater privilege. Uh, even, even one other example of that is in Ezra. After the, uh, the Babylonian deportation, when the, when the exiles to Babylon are beginning to return to Jerusalem and they, they rebuild the city and then they rebuild the temple, in Ezra there are some that come back that are part of the Levite tribe, part of the priestly tribe. They want to come back and they want to, to jump back into those, those priestly duties as the temple is being rebuilt and they're unable to do that. They're ineligible to be Levites because they're not able to prove their lineage uh, because they don't have the, the proper proof of that any longer. And so they're unable to serve as Levites. You can find that in the book of Ezra. One of the, even during Jesus' time, the birth of Jesus, uh, Herod was, was the leader of the, of, of the Jewish section of, of Jerusalem there and of that 
portion of the country. And, and part of the reason why the Jews hated Herod was because part of his line, if you were to go back in his family tree, he was not purely Jewish from beginning to end. And so uh, part, one of the reasons, there was lots of reasons, but one of the reasons why Herod was so disliked is because he was not purely Jewish. He could not trace his line all the way back to Abraham as many of the others, especially the Pharisees, could. So heritage was a big deal. Lineage is a big deal. And that's why Matthew starts with it right here in Matthew chapter 1. It's a big deal to trace this lineage, Jesus' lineage, all the way back to Abraham. Matthew's genealogy here in Matthew chapter 1 has 47 different names in it. It has 42 generations that it spans. It's divided into three categories, as you see. And if you've read through it and and read in the book, The Dawn of Redeeming Grace, you see that it's divided up into three categories. The first category is, is... 14 generations, it's Abraham to David. This spans the, the, the story from, from Abraham in, in Genesis through the, the, the stories of the Pentateuch, the Exodus that we're walking through, all of those stories, the historical books, through, through Joshua, through Judges, through Ruth. All of those are, are spanned in this first category from Abraham to David. The second, the second part of it, David or Solomon to Jeconiah. This is the time of the kings and the kingdoms and and the kingly rulers, the ones that ruled over Israel and then Israel and Judah together. Those kings are listed here. And then the third grouping goes from Jeconiah or Sheltiel to Jesus. And this is during the Babylonian exile, from the, from the beginning of the exile through the return to these New Testament times. Those, those three categories, as you read in the book, as you read in your, your devotional, that there's lots of different themes to that. There's that, the, the, the themes of trying to group them together so that they flow well, so that they're easier to memorize. All of that is probably part of why Matthew divides them up in this way. But I think one of the other reasons that we see that Matthew divides them up is just to remind us that God has been sovereign through every part of Israel's history. From the beginning, when he, when he made a covenant and a promise with Abraham, all the way through the judges, all the way through uh, the, the, the exodus and Moses leading the people out of Egypt, all the way through the kings, David and Solomon, through Jeconiah, all the way through the Babylonian exile, God was sovereign over every part of it. And while there's these significant chunks in the history of Israel, God is really the one that has been overseeing it, has been watching over it from the very beginning. As we're going to read it in just a second, you're going to see that Jesus' lineage here, his family tree, is filled with all kinds of people. It's filled with both heroes and villains. It's filled remarkably with both men and women. It's filled with Jews and Gentiles. We're going to find known names and a lot of unknown names. It's filled with saints, or it's filled with sinners, excuse me, it's filled with sinners 
and one saint. We're going to read it together here in Matthew chapter 1. I tried to get a volunteer to read all these names today, but nobody else would volunteer to come up and do it. So I guess it's down to me. If any of you are, are Jewish name historians, don't talk to me afterwards today. Because I'm just going to read them with confidence whether I know what they are or not. In Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amimadad, and Amimadad, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and brothers, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." What I want to do this morning is just walk through that a little bit and help us to see and to recognize and to understand and to remember some of the names that Matthew puts in here. What does he want us? Some of them, the, the Jewish believers, as they heard this genealogy, as they remembered this line, they would know these names. They would remember the stories. And some of us do. Some of, as I read those names today, you instantly recognized a few of those names. You could put some, some truth around them and understand where they fall in the line of Scripture. But for many of us, we can't recognize that. We don't remember all of those things. And so this morning, what I want to do is just run through a few of the names to help you remember some of these people who are in this genealogy. Matthew begins his genealogy with Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham is the one who, who God makes a covenant with. Way back in Genesis, in, in Genesis chapter 12, God begins to, to work and to speak with Abraham. He gives him a, a covenant. He gives him a promise. He says, your sons are going to be greater than the stars in the sky, more than the sands on the seashore. 
I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abraham is the one the Jews point back to. He is, he is the top of the Jewish line. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are listed here at the beginning. And those, those ring out to us because as we've even been walking through Exodus, we come to Exodus chapter 3 where, where God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. And, and Moses says, who are you? And he says, I am who I am. I am, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These are, the first, these are the first men. These are the first sons of many nations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are the three names that the Jewish people point back to. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob begin Christ's genealogy here. But then, right after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we start to get into a little more questionable characters. Judah is the son of Jacob. And Matthew doesn't shy away from Judah's history. He says Judah here is the, is the son of Jacob, but Judah also is the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, the first woman listed in this genealogy, which would have been unusual for Matthew's time to list any woman at all. Tamar is listed as, as the mother of Perez and the mother of, of Zerah. And if you know the story, it's in Genesis 38. You can sure read it. But there's a story where, where Judah is the son of Jacob, and he has sons as well. One of those sons' name is Ur, E-R. That son, Ur, is married to a Canaanite woman named Tamar. So already, Tamar is outside of the Jewish line, um, and, and Ur marries Tamar, and they don't have any children. And so Ur passes away, and Tamar d- does not, she doesn't have any children, she doesn't have any heirs, she doesn't have anyone to take care of her or support her. And so the Jewish tradition would be that the, the next oldest son would, would take her into his household and would provide an heir through her so that she would have someone to care for her and, and an heir that would come out of her name. And so uh, that does, in fact, happen. Onan takes her in as a part, but he does not, but he does not provide an heir through her and is unwilling to do that. And he also then passes away. And so Judah, remember this, Judah is Tamar's father-in-law, Uh, Judah then promises that his next youngest son, that he would be the one to provide an heir. He would become her husband. He would be the one that would provide an heir for her and and bring her into his family. Judah makes this promise, but nothing comes of it. He fails to deliver on the promise that he has made to Tamar. And so Tamar uh, begins to, to come up with her own plan to fulfill her family line, to keep her family line alive, to have an heir. And she comes up, she concocts this plan to go and to seduce Judah. But the way that she does it is she dresses, she, she puts on a, a disguise, a kind of costume, dresses like a prostitute and seduces Judah, her father-in-law, into having sex with her and he sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant with these twins. That's how the family line continues on. 
It's not all rainbows and it's not all unicorns in Jesus' family line. It's not just Tamar, though. The, the next thing that we read is as you go down just a few more lines, you find that, that uh, Salmon is the father of Boaz by Rahab. If you know the story of Rahab, you know we've, we've come. Tamar uh, dresses as a prostitute and pretends to be a prostitute so that she might keep her family line alive with Judah. But Rahab is a prostitute. She lives in the city of Jericho. And she is a prostitute in Jericho. And Jericho is the first city that the Israelites come to when, when they've, after they've wandered in the desert for, for those 40 years as they're being led by Joshua into the promised land. They cross over the Jordan and the first place they come to is Jericho, the walled city. And you know much of that story. You can find that in, in Joshua chapter 2. But the, the scouts who go to, to scout out Jericho to see uh, what its fortifications look like, to see what the city looks like, to report back to Joshua so that they can make a plan uh, to attack the city of Jericho, those spies get into Jericho and they're about to be discovered. They're about to be found out. They'll probably be killed. Their report will not get back to Joshua. And Rahab uh, protects them. She houses them. She, she covers for them. As, as the men are going around looking for those spies, Rahab protects them. And God makes a promise to Rahab that they will be protected. She and her family will be protected because of the protection that she has given to these spies that have come in to Jericho. And as you read through the story, Jericho is, in fact, the, the, the walls come tumbling down and Jericho is destroyed and everything is wiped out in Jericho except Rahab and her family are rescued. That's an amazing story that God rescues this prostitute who, who lived in, in Jericho who was not part, of, not part of the Jewish people and not part of that of that tribe or that line at all that that's an amazing story but even more amazing than that that she gets absorbed into the to the Israelite people but she becomes King David's great great grandmother God not only rescues and redeems Rahab in the city of Jericho but she but he uses her for great things Rahab Rahab is the mother of Boaz. Boaz and Ruth, that story is a little later if you're flipping through your Bible or at least thinking about the chronology of your Bible. In the historical books, you come to a book titled Ruth, the story of Ruth. And you know that story. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that this morning, but you know that story of, of Ruth, a Moabite woman, again, outside of the Jewish family line, Ruth is a Moabite woman who follows her mother-in-law, Naomi, back into the, the land and the country of Israel. And while she's there, uh, they, the, their husbands have all passed away, and Ruth and Naomi need uh, someone to care for them. They need to be brought into a family. Naomi schemes a little bit. She has this plan for Ruth, her daughter-in-law, to, to find a, a, a a redeemer to find a husband. And so they have this whole story, and you can read it in the book of Ruth. It's a great story if you'd like to read the way that, that Naomi and Ruth and, and that God uses Naomi's plans and schemes. But Ruth uh, meets Boaz, and Ruth 
is, is converted to follow the one true God, to follow Naomi's God. In the midst of that, she meets Boaz, who, who she convinces and is convinced to become her husband, to become her kinsman redeemer, is the phrase that's used over and over in, in Ruth. He's not even, the, he's not even the, the first in line, but he is, he is this kind and generous who, who works through the, the, the politics of it so that he can, in fact, be the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi. Boaz, Boaz and Ruth are listed in Jesus' family line. Again, remarkable that they can be, that they can be rescued and redeemed. And then, and this is all still, we're all in the first third of it. The last name of the first third is, is Jesse is the father of David, the king, in verse 6, the first part of chapter, of verse 6, 6a. The David in verse 6a is the shepherd boy. David in 6a is the Goliath killer and the giant head chopper offer. David is the harp playing, king fleeing young man that we read about in Samuel. David is the, is the one who, who has his own band of great friends and, and men that, that surround him and help him and protect him. David is the one who, when Saul is the king, the crowd begins to chant, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. David is the hero that they sing about. David is the one that, that writes many of the psalms that we've been praying for, through. David is the author of many of those psalms. David is the one who, Scripture tells us, has a heart after God's own heart. David is a receiver of his own covenant, of his own promise, of his own promise by God that a rescuer, a redeemer, a Messiah would come through his line. That's David. David of verse 6a is a great leader and a faithful example of who God has called all of us to be. That's David of 6a. But then we move to the next paragraph and we see the David of 6b. The David of 6b is a whole different guy than the David of 6a. The David of 6b is a, is a, is a, is a voyeur, a seducer of Bathsheba. He's an adulterer who brings another man's wife into his home and seduces her and has sex with her and gets her pregnant. The David of 6b is the one who calls her husband back from the battlefield and, and tries to concoct a plan so that, so that he might believe he's the father of, of the baby. And when that doesn't work, he concocts another plan to have the troops pull back so that Uriah, who will be out front, is killed. David is a murderer. The David of 6b, who's also the David of 6a. David of 6b is the father of Solomon through the wife of Uriah. It's not all rainbows and unicorns in Jesus' family line. As you go on, even from that David of 6a and 6b, you see 
Solomon and, and Rehoboam. Rehoboam the, is, the, is the son of Solomon who follows after Solomon. Solomon is the last king of the, of the combined Israel and Judah nations. Rehoboam and Jeroboam divide the nations. And Israel becomes the northern kingdom and Judah becomes the southern kingdom. And everything is divided from that point on because of Rehoboam. And there's other kings that are listed in this second paragraph, in this second section of names. You see the king Ahaz is listed there. He's, he's an unbelievably horrible king. He's, he worshipped Assyrian gods. He practiced human sacrifice. He defied the temple. You can read about Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 16 if you'd like. Ahaz is unbelievably bad. But Manasseh is even worse. Manasseh did more evil, it says, than all of the nations that God kicked out of the promised land when the Israelites entered. He promoted idolatry. He murdered innocents. He also can be found in 2 Kings in chapter 21 if you want to read about him. Jehoshaphat, he was not that great of a king either. He, he made alliances and with, with wicked men. Uh, he, he, he had all of these plans that God did not honor. Second Chronicles chapter 18, if you want to learn more about Jehoshaphat. Hezekiah, who, who was a, a, a good king for the most part, but he also uh, became so prideful that he at one point in the story shows all of his treasures, treasure trove, the, the, the treasures that, that the kingdom has. He shows all of the treasures off to his, to his enemies and they return after seeing all of those treasures, they return and they plunder all of the treasures and wipe them out. That's in, that's in 2 Kings chapter 20. Uzziah has a good rule for the most part, but he too becomes proud and he begins to try to take on some of the priestly duties on himself. That's in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Josiah was a good and godly king. He's, he's one of the few names in this list of kings who, who doesn't have a lot of faults that we know of. Josiah is a good and great king, but his son Jeconiah was so bad and so evil that later his family is banned from being on the throne. This whole list, this whole list of kings that we find in the second paragraph, they're not all that great either. And then we come to this third paragraph after the deportation to Babylon. We get another list of names. And if you're a Bible scholar, you know that I can't even tell you about those characters. Because in this list, in this third grouping, we have a list of relative unknowns, of nobodies. People that we don't even have a history on. The generations closest to Jesus' birth, the ones closest to Joseph and to Mary, the ones closest, the ones that are his parents, grandparents, or at least adopted parents, grandparents. They're nobodies in the grand scheme of things. So what does this all mean for us? A list of all of these characters, all of these 
somebody's who were not all that great or nobody's who we know nothing about. What does that mean for us? What that means for us, I think, comes down to the very last word there in chapter 16 of these genealogies. It says in in verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born and who was called the Christ. The culmination of all of this list, the culmination of all of these names from Abraham down the list, 47 different names, the culmination of all of that does not culminate with a name, but instead culminates with a title. The end of this list is not Jesus, but it's Christ. It's Messiah. That's our hope, is that all of these lists come down to this. Jesus Christ is, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. It's not long after this, Jesus is born and in around 4 BC and, and lives for 33 years. And after that, around 70 AD, the Romans come in and destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And when they do that, all of the genealogical records are destroyed. No one after that period is able to go back and to, and to find and to trace their genealogy, at least this way with those official records, is able to trace their genealogy back to David or back to Abraham. No one is able to fulfill all of the things that we, all the, the, the promises, the lines that we read about in the Old Testament. It's only Jesus. He is the only one. He is the only Messiah. The records in the temple are destroyed in 70 AD, but the record that matters is here in chapter 1. In verse 20, it says this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our Christ. Jesus is our Messiah. And that's what we'll celebrate here at the table this morning. The worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us as we take and share in communion together today. That our hope only comes in Jesus. We celebrate an open communion. There's an invitation in your bulletin this morning. If you can live under that invitation, we invite you to come and to join us today. If you are uncomfortable with that or if you do not feel comfortable in sharing a communion with us today, we understand that. There is no expectation for you to do that if you are uncomfortable with it. In just a little, in just a, a few moments, the elders will come and they'll, they'll prepare the elements and then they will wander through the aisles and they'll release you to come up and to take the elements. There's two cups that are stacked together. We ask you just to take both cups. One cup 
has the bread, one cup has the juice. Pull both of those cups out of the tray and then you can return to your seat and we will share in communion together this morning. The worship team is going to lead us. I pray that you might rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ today. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the king of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for you eat and remember the wounds that heal the death that brings us life paid the price to make us one so we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember he drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the
And so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond And to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ As his body here on earth As we share in his suffering We proclaim Christ will come again And we'll join in the feast of heaven Around the table of the We hope and we rest today in the person of Jesus and in the title of Christ. This represents his body, which was broken for us. Take and eat and be grateful. And this represents his blood, which was shed for us. It's through that that we have a covering for our sins. And so we take it and drink and are grateful this morning. Please stand for our benediction. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Amen.